This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 11. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. John chapter 11, we're going to be... Um, reading at verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing who Jesus is so clearly and plainly in the Gospel according to John. Open our hearts and minds to appreciate this, to embrace him by faith, and to live for Jesus, knowing that because Jesus lives, we shall live as well. Because he rose from the dead, our bodies will rise from death, and we will receive glorified bodies. Thank you for that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's message are the words of Jesus himself. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, John is trying to prove in the gospel he wrote that Jesus is actually God. And he's using sevens to do that. Seven I am statements and seven miracles. So of the seven I am statements, this is number five that he has unfolded in his gospel so far. So far, he has said, quoting Jesus, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham was, I am. And I am the good shepherd. And now I am the resurrection and the life. To come would be Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. Those are the seven I am statements. So for Jesus to say, I am, is to say, I am Yahweh, I am who I am. He's using the holy name of God to say, I am God. So I am God, and I am capable of raising people from the dead and giving them eternal life. That's 
the claim of Jesus. And what he's going to do to back up that claim is he's going to rise from the dead himself and show that he is who he said he is. Now, along with the seven I am statements of Jesus, the Apostle John is using the seven miracles to prove that Jesus is God. And this is the last of the seven miracles he has chosen. Now, Jesus did many miracles, but John chose seven miracles to surround his gospel narrative around to prove that Jesus is God. So there was the turning of the water into wine miracle. There was the healing of the nobleman's son. There was the healing of the lame man at Bethesda. There was the feeding of the 5,000. There was him walking on water. There was the healing of the man who was born blind. And now the last of the seven miracles is Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Now, Jesus had raised two other people from the dead. He had raised Jairus' daughter, who was a 12-year-old girl, from the dead. And he raised the widow's son, who was probably in his 20s, from the dead. But each of those had died and were only dead for a short period of time, and Jesus rose them from the dead. In this case, Lazarus is in the tomb for four days. Now, after three days, the body starts decomposing. And we're going to hear the protest when Jesus says, open the tomb. Mary and Martha are going to say, don't open the tomb because he's decaying and stinks to high heaven. Now, why will this be an incredible miracle? Because no one could say, oh, they resuscitated him. No one can say, oh, he really wasn't dead. Four days in the tomb is dead as a doorknob. All right? So this is a bona fide miracle. It's the climax of the miracles, and it's very key. So let's look at this interesting outline that I've come up with, having studied the chapter very carefully. Don't worry, I'm going to go through it quickly, but this is extremely deep and meaningful, if you'll track with me. That, the, that Jesus, who's the resurrection and the life, reveals our heart. Now watch this. When Lazarus was dying, he was experiencing a loss. He's losing his life. And Mary and Martha, his sisters, were experiencing a loss. They're going to lose their brother. And how do you respond in a time of loss, when you're experiencing the threat or you have experienced the actual loss of a dear one or something precious to you. Some of you survived the paradise fire and you lost it all. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Then how about when you call upon God to help you in your time of need and there doesn't seem to be an answer? There's a delay. Well, that's what's going to be in this story that there's a failed expectation upon God. You expect God to answer right away, intervene immediately, relieve you of any discomfort and pain, and clear all tensions, and kiss the boo-boo better right now. And then there's denial and avoidance of the truth. There's blaming, a disapproval of God's ways. There's grieving, an authentic embrace of pain. There's a miracle the impossible turnaround happening, 
And then there's self-preserving, where there's a plot to stay in control. All these exciting features are in this chapter, and we're going to see them plain and clear, and we're going to relate them to your life and to mine. So first of all, dying. It says in John 11, 1 to 3, and you can't miss it, three times it talks about Lazarus being sick. It says in verse 1, now a man named Lazarus was sick. Verse 2, Lazarus now lay sick. Verse 3, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now this is not just sick, as in I have a cold, or I have a light, mild case of COVID. This is I'm sick unto dying. I'm, I'm on my death bed and when you're dying or when you have a loved one who's dying you're dealing with loss i'll never forget talking to a woman who says i can't die now i have too many things to do and i just tried to comfort her i said well uh, either someone else is going to do it or they don't it doesn't need to be done but god has another assignment for you and when you get to heaven he's got a lot more for you to do that's going to fit you and be better for you and so many of us have experienced loss, and when we do, how does it reveal our heart? Well, in the case of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they sent for Jesus. When you're experiencing loss, do you cry out to the Lord? That's key. You remember Job, when everything was taken away from him, he said, naked I came into the world, and naked I'm going to leave the world, Blessed be the name of the Lord. He did not curse God when he experienced loss. He cried out to God and said, Okay, Lord, you're in charge. I'm trusting you. His faith was purified like refined gold, and um, the Lord was honored by his attitude and faith. I knew a brother who had had many cancer operations and lived a very long time, a record length of time, giving his cancer. And right towards the end, as he was dying, he said, I have one prayer request, that God be glorified. What an attitude he had. And I'm so thankful for Greg Ford. Now, it says in verse 4, and these are words of encouragement Jesus gave, uh, a message to send back to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He said, tell them this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So there are three kinds of sickness. There's a sickness unto death. You're going to die. There's sickness uh, unto recovery. You're going to get better. And there's sickness unto the glory of God. God's going to do a miracle in that sickness. And that's the kind of sickness that we experience and see here with Lazarus. Now, how is God going to glorify himself, and how is the Son going to be glorified through this? That when Lazarus will be raised from the dead, it will be such a testimony of the resurrection that nobody can deny that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is God. And here's the irony of it. During Jesus' day, you had the Pharisees as religious teachers and you had the Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. So for them to see Lazarus raised from the dead is in their face. 
you don't believe in resurrection, huh? How do you explain this? And we're going to talk about that at the end of the chapter. But perhaps you've experienced a loss or you're experiencing a loss, and it could be a loss of your health. It could be a family loss, a relational loss, a financial loss, a loss of security, a loss of what you once knew as to be normal. We've all experienced that because of COVID. But whatever pain or problem or struggle, whatever suffering, whatever hurt you've experienced, whether it's been divorce or betrayal or a violation, of whatever sadness, discouragement or despair or depression even that you're experiencing, cry out to Jesus. Send for Jesus and wait upon him because when he shows up, in your life, he will do something above and beyond what you could ask or imagine. Trust in him in the midst of your loss. Secondly, there's a delay. And uh, I want us to try to capture this. Verse 5 and 6 of 11. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. We get that. Jesus loved them. It says it loud and clear. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Does anyone catch the irony of that? I love you so much, I'm going to stay where I am, and I'm, I'm not going to come and help you right now. It sounds like Jesus is abandoning his friends that he loves. Wouldn't he get there as fast as he can and uh, heal Lazarus, his best friend? Why the delay? And this really speaks to you and me about our expectations of God. When we're in trouble, don't we expect God to, to deal with us and make us priority one and show up right away? And don't we get angry and resentful towards God when he doesn't? You see, uh, we don't like pain. We don't like struggle. We don't like waiting when we're suffering. I want relief and I want it now, is what the regular human being would say. But love waits because even though we think love must act immediately, sometimes delay brings a greater blessing. Sometimes delay brings a greater blessing. God's delay are not God's denials. And so... The loving thing is not always to relieve pain and struggle. You know, you see a butterfly trying to emerge from a cocoon, and you decide you're going to help the butterfly in the midst of its pain. So you're going to rip open that cocoon so the butterfly can fly away. You rip up the, the cocoon, and guess what? You've crippled the butterfly because the process of Pushing against that cocoon is what strengthens the butterfly's wings so it can fly. You've crippled the butterfly rather than helping the butterfly by coming in too quickly. And Jesus doesn't want to do that. You see, there's several reasons for the Lord's delay. Number one, in his knowledge of everything, he knew that Lazarus had already died. By the time the messenger got to him, and remember, when he does decide to go, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. So Lazarus was already dead. Number two, the delay of Jesus is mentioned as to the reason for it 
in verse 14. In verse 14, Jesus says, verse 15, For your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. In other words, by delaying going to see Lazarus and not healing Lazarus right away when he was on his sick, but by waiting four days while he was verifiably dead, he was preparing the disciples to believe in him as the resurrection and life so that when Jesus rises from the dead himself, they would eventually be able to believe because they saw this miracle. In other words, your suffering and your pain, and when it, there's a delay and there doesn't seem to be an answer from God, is affecting other people. Their faith may grow because they see your perseverance, your trust in the Lord in the midst of your struggle and pain, and that might lead them to faith because they see how patient and calm you are in the midst of all that you're experiencing. And that speaks volumes to them. If my mom or my dad had a faith like that, I want a faith like that. There was a delay. And there was denial. Notice this next section, uh, John 11, 11 to 14. Our friend Lazarus, Jesus says, has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. You notice how we can use euphemisms like he passed or he, uh, he, he's uh, asleep rather than say the truth, he's dead. And Jesus has to say straight out to them. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Denial is an avoidance of the truth. And it's easy for us to call something something else in order not to face the truth. The Lord wants us to face the truth, and the truth is we're all going to die, and we need to be prepared for death by trusting in Jesus Christ during this lifetime. We can't live in denial. But then look at blame, which is an avoidance of the truth, because, excuse me, that's not avoidance of the truth. Blame, excuse me, uh, blame is a... Um, um, a disapproval of God's way. So here we have Martha in verse 21 saying, Lord, if you had been here, can you see her shaking her finger? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. I know you could have just said the word and he would have rose from his deathbed and everything would have been good. Why didn't you show up sooner? Why weren't you here? Why did you let me down? She's saying this with a strong sense of disapproval. You didn't do it my way. And what's interesting is later in the chapter, you're going to have Mary saying the same words, but without the bad attitude. She's going to say, if only you had been here. And there's a big difference in their tone. You know, I was talking to John McDonald. Where are you, John? Over here. And John uh, is facing a new challenge with his cancer, uh, some cancer in the nose, a squamish cancer, skin cancer, and, and that's going to have to be taken care of. And he said, Lou, I'm communicating, not complaining. I love that, John. God bless you. We're praying for you. Because John is a man of faith. 
He's trusting the Lord in the midst of this. And instead of shaking his fist and blaming God, he's saying, Lord, I'm trusting you now more than ever. I'm walking with you all the way. And I thank you for your grace and mercy, your protection and help in, every, with, in the midst of everything I'm facing. So Jesus said to Martha straight out, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he asked the challenging question to her and to you and me. Do you believe this? D.L. Moody said, soon you will hear that D.L. Moody is dead. Don't believe it. I'll be more alive in heaven than I ever was here on earth. I'm not going from the land of the living to the land of the dying. I'm going from the land of the dying to the land of the living. Do you believe this? This is true for all who have trusted in Christ, that we will never die. Um, and though we physically die, we will live eternally and be with the Lord in heaven. Martha goes from her shaking her finger and blaming Jesus, disapproving of his ways, not being her ways, to, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. We need to make that transition from blaming God to surrendering to his will and saying, yes, Lord, I believe. And then grief, an authentic embracing of pain. In John eleven thirty three and 35 to 36, when Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And Jesus wept. The shortest uh, verse in the New Testament, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus saw the weeping. He felt compassion. He wept, identifying with Mary and her friends and the loss of his dear friend, Lazarus. Then there was a miracle. And the miracle was Jesus called Lazarus to come out of the tomb, remove the tombstone. And he said in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And can you imagine a mummy-like creature wrapped in, in uh, these linens kind of hopping out like this? Because he can't walk. He's wrapped by these linen things. And interestingly, it says, his hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and there was a cloth around his face. Now that's very important because when Peter and John run to the tomb on Resurrection Sunday, what do they see laying perfectly in place on the slab in the tomb of Jesus? They see the linen that would have been wrapped around his arms and legs perfectly in place, and then they see the head covering exactly where his head would have been. In other words, Jesus in his glorified body went through the burial clothes and resurrected. They didn't even have to move the tombstone because he was able to go through it. It's so that the disciples could come in, that the tombstone was um, opened and the tomb was not empty. It had the evidence of Jesus rising from the dead right there, the grave clothes perfectly in place and perfectly proportionate to where he once lay. Jesus rose from the dead. No question about that. Therefore, he is who he claimed to be. But here we have Jesus saying, take off the grave clothes and let him go. 
And by the way, that's a wonderful picture of you and me, that when we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we still seem to have grave clothes on, don't we? In other words, we got some sinful habits and some uh, bad attitudes that we need to lose. And uh, we need to take them off. And the Bible says in Ephesians 4, 22 and 24, take off anything that doesn't represent Jesus. You've been clothed with Christ. And that's an ongoing process. So here's a miracle. Can anyone deny that a man who has laid dead for four days, being raised to life, is a bona fide miracle? No one can deny that. Jesus is God. And it says in John eleven forty five to 46, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So part of the group saw the miracle and they immediately trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They said, yes, he is God. He is the resurrection and life. I want that eternal life. And they believed in him and trusted in him. But others resisted and rebelled, and they ran like snitches over to the Pharisees to squeal on Jesus. They didn't accept the miracle right before them. So then we get to self-preservation. What do the spiritual leaders of the day do? Well, they're involved in self-preservation, a plot to stay in control. They say in verse 48, if we let Jesus go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Remember, the, uh, Israel is under the power and control of the empire of Rome. And if there's any shenanigans going on in Jerusalem, the Roman army will come and wipe them out. And so for self-preservation, the leaders are saying, we got to deal with this. And the high priest, inspired by the Spirit, prophesies. He says, you do not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. And he was predicting that Jesus would die on the cross for the nation of Israel and for all who will trust in Christ, Gentiles as well. So from that day, the religious leaders who should be following Jesus as Messiah are plotting to take his life out of self-preservation. They don't want to lose their temple and they don't want to lose their nation. So today, I'm asking you, as I wrap this up, where is your heart? Look at these possible responses and pick the one that best resembles where you are right now. Do you feel like you're dying, you're losing something? And the question is, are you sending for Jesus? In the midst of your loss, are you crying out to the Lord? That's the best response. How about you feel like you're in trouble, you're struggling, and God doesn't seem to be listening, God's not acting right away. You wonder where God is. And the answer is, God hasn't left you. Underneath are the everlasting arms. God is with you more than you realize. And just because he's silent doesn't mean he's not there. He's with you. But there's a reason for the delay. And God's working things out in a greater way than you know. And then maybe you're saying today, I'm in denial. You're saying, this isn't happening. No, Lazarus isn't dying. He's not dead. He's just asleep and with a good night's sleep, he'll be feeling better in the morning. No, that condition will not change. You've got to accept reality. Maybe today you're blaming God for letting you down. 
He didn't do it your way. He didn't show up right away. You're shaking your finger or your fist at him and saying, if you had only come through when I wanted you to. You know, when you're doing that, you're saying, I know better than you do, God. I don't think so. Father knows best, and there's a plan. And God loves you, and he's working things out. Trust in him. Let go of that anger and resentment you have towards God and let him be God. Maybe this morning you're grieving and you really are in touch with your pain, like Mary losing her brother and weeping. And you're saying, yeah, I acknowledge I lost my best friend, my, my uh, ideal of family, my health, whatever. And you're saying, I'm in touch with that. And it's okay to cry. It's okay to let the tears clear the gray tensions in my soul. It's okay to say, I was once loved and I loved, but now that person's not here. I'd pick up the phone to call my dad out of habit every Saturday and I realized he's not here anymore. And I would feel that emptiness and sadness. And that's okay to grieve. Maybe this morning you're saying, I'm a miracle. Because even though one of the miracles was Lazarus being raised from the dead, the greater miracle was the people who believed. So you may not always experience a physical miracle of being instantaneously healed or raised from the dead but you can experience a spiritual miracle of trusting in christ and being saved and having all your sins forgiven and having heaven as your destination that's the greater miracle to be spiritually healed to be spiritually resurrected is the greatest miracle and many of you have trusted in christ and you can say i am a miracle thanks to jesus he's forgiven me he saved me i am his I'm looking forward to being with him. We embrace you as Lord and Savior, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530 530- 8920521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's word.